All right. Well, today, it feels a little odd to be up here because the last like month and a half, I've been up here sitting on a stool with, with Zach or Andrew, and uh, oh, it's just me. <laughs> so hope, that, hope that's good. If you joined us the last few weeks, you know that we've had Pastor 411 going on. Not our standard format. Um, this is closer to what things are usually like. And so I'm glad you're here with us, though, because for the next few weeks, we're going to have a look at the book of Habakkuk. Now, you've probably heard of that book. You may not have studied that book before, but I know the first thing we have to figure out before we go any further is how in the world do you say that, <laughs> right? Because there's probably people already who are stuck on that one question. There's different ways it gets said. I always grew up saying Habakkuk. Anybody else with Habakkuk? Yeah, that's like our Western English style way of just phonetically reading this, Habakkuk. But the, the actual pronunciation actually is a little stronger. The emphasis is on the ba. So it's ha, Habakkuk, which is, is going to be hard for your brain to get around. Now, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to slip up as we go through the next few weeks, and I'm going to probably move back and forth between them. You may do the same thing, but here's what I want you to know. It's okay. Regardless of how you say it, as long as when you get to the Ks, the, the Habakkuk, as long as you sound like a cat coughing up a hairball, it's acceptable. And hairballs from cats are reason number six that I don't like cats. So, so however you say it, uh, just make sure you emphasize the and we know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Now, there's actually very little known about Habakkuk. But we do know this. We do know that he was a man of great faith who was likely a musician uh, or a, a priest in the temple. He served in the temple. And there came a time in his life when he went from serving in the temple to becoming a prophet. Uh, of the people. And this happened during the time of a better known prophet, a man named Jeremiah, who I'm sure we're more familiar with than Habakkuk. And so this is around the year 600 BC, which is a very critical time in the life of, of, of Israel, in the life of Judah. It's an important time because at this season in their life, the, the, the nation was defined by corruption and violence, and they were known as being a very ungodly people. As we read different prophets, including Habakkuk, about these sorts of things, we come to see that the wicked were doing wicked things to good people, and the good people weren't even really all that good to begin with. And in such situations as this, if you're familiar with the history, the history of Israel, we know that during such situations as this, God would send prophets to the people. Where God would have a message he would deliver through a prophet to go to the people, and so that he could warn them, he could caution them about what was coming. Well, Habakkuk is different. You see, in this book of Habakkuk, he is a prophet, but rather than speaking to the people on behalf of God, he is speaking to God on behalf of the people. He's speaking to God on behalf of the people. Now, in this short three-chapter book, and if you want to follow along as we read today, you can do so on your phones or on the pew portal. There's sermon notes in there, or you can use the pew Bible on page 763. You'll find this book. And in this short three-chapter book, it can almost feel like we're reading Habakkuk's prayer journal to God. Because as we, as we read this, it's like he's revealing to God these concerns, this burden that exists within his heart. And that's actually what we see in verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now the word oracle comes from the Hebrew word Messiah. And some of your versions, if you're using your own Bible there, NIV and some of those versions, you're going to find that they've used the word prophecy sometimes instead of oracle. 
Uh, but there are some other versions that use a different word that are actually truer to what this word Massah means. Because the word Massah means to bear a load. It means to have a burden upon you. And Habakkuk was given a burden to bear. And this burden he was given to bear is what he is speaking to God about. And the burden is the central question of the entire book. And his burden is this. Why, God, does life seem so unfair? Where are you, God? God, do you even care? God, why aren't you doing more? Is the central burden, the central question of this entire book. Now, as you can tell... This is probably not going to be an easy, lighthearted series that we get into today, but I, I think, and I hope you can also agree that this is an important question, an important topic for us to look at, because it speaks to the realities of life. Hey, can I just ask you, is it okay if we, if we just talk about real life? Is that okay? Good, because I, otherwise I can just stop now, and <laughs> we can all go have lunch. Or we can continue to talk about the hard stuff of life. You see, because sometimes when, when the Christian life is presented, whether through, through sermons or, or through devotionals that we read, sometimes it's presented in more of the fashion of like a sitcom. And now I don't know for what generation you're from and different sitcoms you may have liked, whether you're a fan of you know, I Love Lucy or Seinfeld or Friends or Big Bang Theory, whatever, whatever sitcom you're familiar with, they have a common formula. When I was in university, I took this class called Sociology and Media, and it outlined this formula that for decades sitcoms have followed. And they kind of go something like this. There's the opening scenario, the opening sequence, sometimes with, sometimes without a joke. But the idea is to set up and to orientate a situation to the main plot. And once they've established the main plot, then they introduce an obstacle or a tension that the main character has to overcome. And once they've introduced that tension, it's time for commercials, right? Because they have to sell you some Tide with bleach and convince you to order from Skip the Dishes. When they get back from that, they then have now established the main character and the main challenge to the main obstacle. And so the character has a plan to overcome that now. We'll introduce the sub-obstacles that bring it into doubt. Is the main hero going to be able to do this? Will the hero emerge victorious? And just before they answer the question, like the General Lee over top of the... Time for more commercials. Right? And when they get back from more commercials, just in time there's a breakthrough. The goal has been achieved. And then they end with a quick-witted joke because life is funny after all, isn't it? A little humor, a little tension, a little tied with bleach. Always a solution. Tied up in a neat little package in 30 minutes. That's not what you get in Habakkuk. That's not what you get. What you get, in my opinion, is actually more important and much more closer to real life. Because sometimes we do have burdens and we have tensions in our lives. And sometimes we have questions that cause us to call out to God and ask him these hard questions. But we don't always get an answer. Habakkuk looks at the world around him and he feels this burden growing within him. And so he questions God about it. He feels like he deserves an explanation for what he's experiencing. And he addresses this. Question to God. And we see this in verse 2 and verse 4, where he says this. How long, Lord? How long must I call out for help, but you don't listen? Or how long must I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? 
Why do you make me look at injustice? Why, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever asked questions similar to this? Why is life so unfair? Why don't you do something about it, God? You know, God, the, the, the lack of response I seem to be ex- experiencing makes me wonder if you even care. I, I work hard to provide for my family, but I never seem to be able to get ahead. And then I look at the people over here, and it's like life is handed to them on a silver platter. I, I manage my finances well, and I tithe to the church, and when I get a couple extra dollars, I know without a fail there's going to be a car repair. And I'm thankful, God, you provided that I can pay for the car repair, but, but can I just have some for a while? I, I've given my life to serve you, Lord. I, I've been a good dad. I, I've tried to raise my kids according to your way, and that they've wandered off, and, and they're, they're messing in drugs and in groups and running away. It's one of the questions I know the parents in Uvalde, Texas, are asking today. We celebrated our kids on the honor roll in the morning, and in the afternoon, a gunman kills 19 of them, and they're teachers. Why? Habakkuk is a man of faith. He loves God. He strives to live a righteous life. But then he looks at the world around him, and he sees how far his nation has fallen, how they have abandoned God, and they've abandoned their law. He's seen the damage done to him, and the damage done to all of those around him, and he wonders, how can God turn a blind eye to this? And seem like he's doing nothing. And I believe that there are possibly some here on site and those online who are watching. Who have questions very similar to this for God. And they're not easy to ask. And if you have ever found yourself, or if right now you find yourself in a moment of asking some of these similar questions, then the book of Habakkuk is for you. Because it's not a sitcom style of sermon series. We're going to talk about the real stuff of life. Because at the heart of the issue, it comes down to a question of faith. When it feels like life is hard, when it feels like God could be doing more, how we handle those questions in those moments will either lead us in one of two directions. It will either weaken our faith in God, or it can actually strengthen our faith in God. With so much on the line, I want you to know this as we start to unpack this now. I want you to know this. It's okay to ask God hard questions. You know, in, in fact, it takes great faith to ask God hard questions. Think about it. It's actually a logical statement. People without faith don't ask God much of anything, do they? They don't really ask God a whole lot of questions if they haven't got faith in God. They instead look within themselves for answers to, to self-determination. And when the things that they're looking to and the questions that they ask, they turn to a spiritual sense a little bit. It tends to be towards an impersonal force. They start to speak of things like karma and good and bad energy that's out there. But it actually takes faith to look at God and say, why? Why do you seem distant? Why, God, does it seem unfair? And I know we've all felt these things at some point or another. But not all of us have dared to ask the hard questions. 
I think sometimes for some of us, it's because we feel like it would be irreverent. It would be, it would be disrespectful to ask God those questions. And then for others, sometimes we fear that if I ask them the hard questions, there's going to be retribution that comes back. <laughs> and I run into this one fairly often, actually, or as though God is going to say, how, how dare you question me? Just for that? When you, when you get home, there's going to be a surprise for you in your mailbox. I'm going to make sure you've got a photo radar ticket. And you know, and you know what else? I'm going to make sure your wife sees your photo radar ticket. And I'm going to make sure your wife reminds you that she told you to slow down when you got that photo radar ticket. Oh, and you know what else? When you open the envelope, I'm going to make sure you get a paper cut. Like, like one of those ones running in the nail. Yeah, right? Where every time you do something for the next three days, you're reminded that you questioned me. But when we look at the Bible, it appears that God is not quite so petty. <laughs> Thankfully, he's not quite so petty. Because here's the thing, he already knows your question, and he actually welcomes your questions. Here's the reality, a, a God that's not big enough to handle your questions is not big enough for you to put your faith in. He not only knows your question, he welcomes them and can handle them. See, in the Bible, we see this thing that's referred to as, as lamenting. And we don't talk about laments quite a bit. That's why there's a bit of a weightiness to even this, this topic. We're not familiar or comfortable with the idea of laments, but these questions and these statements of, uh, of like grief and disappointment and being felt like we're let down, and especially shows up in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of Job, we see a man who, who has lived a faithful life and yet is struggling to understand why he's suffering. He's lamenting. We get to the book of Lamentations. What do you think that's about? Lamenting, <laughs> Why, trying to make sense of the distress, of the lack of hope that exists within a person. We get to the Psalms. Did you know that? This is 150 Psalms. 42 of the 150 Psalms include laments. A third of our Psalms include laments where we're saying, God, forgive me. God, have you forgotten me? God, how much longer must I wait? And then we get to the book of Habakkuk. And we see him say things like this, you do not listen, you do not save, you make me look at injustice. Justice never prevails, it's lamenting. See, these godly men are all asking God honest, hard questions. And I want to suggest to you that it is necessary for you to ask those questions if you want to grow in your spiritual relationship with God. And here's the reason why. Because if you leave the question unasked, it goes unresolved. If it goes unresolved, it just festers. And what happens, whether it's an unresolved question or even, even, even a cut that's infected, anything that just festers, what happens? It, it eats away at you. These unanswered questions, these unasked questions, they, they'll eat away at you. They'll eat away at your faith. They'll eat away at your hope. But when you ask the questions, God now has an opportunity to respond. He can respond. And in the question and in the answer to that question, that is where you will find a strengthening of your faith. Now, in response to Habakkuk's question, God actually gives him an answer. God says to him, I do see. I do care. And I am doing something. But, he continues, you may struggle with the answer to your question even more than the question itself. 
This is important to understand as well. Not only is it important for us to ask God these questions, asking God these hard questions is a significant part of our faith journey. But we also need to be open to hear what he has to say. Because quite often when we're asking these questions and we receive a response, it's going to require us to reorientate our view of God and the events of our lives. And Habakkuk was about to experience that. We see this in verse 5, where God responds. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not even believe if you were told. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They're a lot of themselves, and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They they, They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They, they mock kings. They scoff at rulers. They, they laugh at all fortified cities. They just build earth in ramps and they capture them. And then they sweep past like the wind and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. God just told Habakkuk, I'm planning to use the Babylonians as my instrument of justice. They're the answer to the question. Now, they were known throughout the nations as a wicked, ruthless, pagan people. They had no respect for the name of any gods, and they trusted simply in their own mights. They were their own gods. They were in this unstoppable force that that conquered and pillaged people and lands at will. And even just just hearing of the Babylonians advancing upon your territory from, from, from the poorest beggar to the strongest king would make your blood run cold in fear. And that's God's plan. Now hearing that this was God's plan furthers the crisis that exists within Habakkuk. Because based upon what he knew and what he had been taught about God, this it sort of developed a list of expectations, a, a structure for who God was and how God was supposed to act. And, and nothing about this fit the paradigm of what he believed about God. And we do the same thing sometimes. Based upon the church that you grew up in or didn't, based upon the family you were raised in, the the study of scripture you've done, based upon experiences from your own life, uh, based upon all these sorts of things, we have this tendency, it's a natural thing that we all do, where we tend to build a box, and then we place God inside our box. But then an event happens. We learn something that challenges the size and the shape of our box. God God decides to shoot an arm out. He goes, what are we going to do about that now? It's a crisis. Either we ignore the arm. The arm doesn't, what arm? The arm doesn't exist. We try and cram the arm back in, or we need to resize our box. But in either situation, it leads many people to a crisis of faith. A well-known pastor and author, uh, Henry Blackaby, talks about this crisis of faith and says that people who find themselves in these situations tend to go through one of two directions. One direction people tend to go, and you might find yourself, you have a tendency for one of these. One direction people tend to go is towards positive denial, which is basically just naively ignoring reality, where an obstacle is presented, but then you look past the obstacle 
And just, just focus on the day when you just expect the resumption of good again. And we're just going to skip over the hard parts. You know, perhaps, I, I remember one person I was discipling for a while, and they kept getting fired from work for poor performance. They wouldn't admit that part. But they kept getting fired from work. And, and they, their answer was, it was God's will. He needed me out of there because he's got a better job for me. Positive now. Just completely ignoring the issue that maybe, maybe, maybe the common denominator to all these employment situations is you. <laughs> like maybe there's something within yourself that God's trying to draw your attention to that needs to be addressed, needs to be fixed. But again and again and again, you know, get a job and get fired, get a job, get fired, get a job, get fired. And the end result was it was weakening his faith in God and in people. Now I'm all for positive thinking. But not at the expense of denying the reality of the situation that God may have placed you into for a purpose. So one direction people go sometimes is in the direction, excuse me, of this positive denial. Uh, the other side of the, of, of the option is angry rejection, where you feel betrayed and let down. Your heart and mind start to, you can feel this distancing starting to happen between you and God. And the relationship is getting a little rocky. God, if this is how it's going to be, if you're not going to do what seems right, then just forget about it. You must not be who I thought you were, God. Maybe you felt that within your, your own heart at times where a challenge comes your way and you prayed about it. You prayed about it a lot, but then it seems like there is no action. There's, there's no answer to your prayer and, and it hurt. Maybe it was during the loss of a, of a loved one, a loss of a job, loss of security maybe within finances, or a loss of reputation in the world. And, and whatever it may have been, it, it is now something that stands between you and God and has this dividing force because of unmet expectations or because of an offense that you may feel. Or it puts your whole relationship with God in question. No, but there's actually a third option. There's a third option that we actually see in Habakkuk. An, an option that I would refer to as persevering faith. And here's what that looks like. That says, God, I don't understand. God, I don't like it very much. But I'm going to stand in faith. I'm still going to trust you. Even if the situation does not approve. Even if others fall away, even if I find that I am the only one who is left standing, I will stand with you. This is the hard road of the three options. But it's not a path that is without purpose. You see, because it's through this that we can actually grow in our trust and in our intimacy and grow in our faith with God. The New Testament puts it this way. When it says this in James chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, as you find yourself in the world with less and less of the world to hold on to, you have an opportunity to cling more tightly to Jesus. Now, as I look back upon my life, there have been many good seasons, and I thank God for those. 
But there has also been many hard seasons. And if I look back and I'm honest with myself, it's during these more hard seasons that I have seen the greatest spiritual growth within myself. It's during the seasons when, when, when I stake my faith and my trust in God and when that stance seems contrary to the situations around me, it's in those moments that I feel this are more formative. When it feels like life is being stripped away. Like when Nadine and I were called to leave our careers in B.C., to sell everything, to quit everything, and to move here to pursue the calling God had placed upon our lives. When there's that stripping away, it was then that we found that in God alone we can place our hope and we can place our trust. It is in God alone who will provide in the way that the world never could. Or even more recently, when events take place that remind you of the fragility of life and bring into focus what is really important in life. For example, just for two weeks ago, when uh, Nadine actually had surgery. Now, it was a fairly straightforward procedure, but one that requires some time off work. But partway through the procedure, her heart stopped. And as the doctors told us afterwards, for what seemed to them like an eternity, they feared that they weren't going to get her back. And as her lifeless body laid on the operating table, and as a code blue rang out through the hospital and a dozen people rushed into the OR and multiple doctors performed compressions and CPR to start her heart again, as they're about to bring the paddles and to shock her heart back to life, her heart started again. In these past few days, we're still processing all of this. Processing questions like, God, why? Why did I almost lose my wife? It's such a routine procedure. Why did I almost lose my life, my, my, my wife? And I can choose to choose positive, just sort of ignorantly ignore the reality of what that was and choose a positive denial. Or, or I can choose more of an angry rejection of what that means. But the question I'm left with is how could I do either? because it would negatively affect my relationship with Jesus. And where would I be without my Jesus? As James says, God may lovingly allow you to go through hard seasons, times of doubts and questions, fears, insecurities, unanswered prayers. He's not punishing you. It could be that he's doing something in you that he could not do any other way. And so what choices Habakkuk arrive at? What we see in the verses, verses 12 through 17, we see his response. And here's what we find. We see that he continues to ask God the hard questions. God, why would you use greater evil to defeat lesser evil? Valid question. He continues to express his concerns to God. God, does the punishment actually fit the crime? This is a brutal, ruthless people. But at the same time, as he's asking these questions, as he's sharing his concerns, at the same time, he chooses to hold firmly to his faith in God. And he says this in chapter 2, verses 1. He says, but I will stand. I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the tower. And I will look and see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to my complaint. He says, I will not abandon my commitment 
but I will stand firm on the foundation of my faith. I will wait patiently, and I will anticipate and trust that my God has a purpose and an answer. Habakkuk's response is actually true to his name. You know what his name means? It's not just a noun, a noun, person, place, or thing. It's not just a noun. His name is actually a verb as well. And his, his name means to wrestle and to embrace. That's what Habakkuk means, to wrestle and to embrace. And that's what he does. He wrestles with God by asking his questions, but he embraces God. And when we may find ourselves in the uncertainty of chapter 1, of a crisis and a challenge, that's what we can do as well. We can wrestle with God. We can express our questions. We can, we can express our challenges to what we perceive around us. But we can embrace him as well and hold fast to our faith in God. And based upon the promises of God, I can promise you this. That if you embrace him, he embraces you. And he never lets go. Now some of you may be in a situation right now where, where you're facing a choice between retreating from your faith in God or pushing towards him. If you find yourself in such a situation, it is a question of faith. Some of you may be here right now saying, I am facing something that is going on. It doesn't make sense to me. There was a time in my life when, when my faith was so strong, uh, but I'm feeling a little rattled right now. I'm not sure to do with this challenge, this situation, this question that is plaguing my mind. If, if you find yourself in a situation like that, you are in chapter one. You're Habakkuking. You're wrestling and needing to embrace. And I pray that you will embrace, you will choose embrace in the midst of that. And I want to invite you to make sure you come back for chapter two. Because it may not be the answer to all the questions, but it will continue to walk you down this journey of faith with God as you embrace him. There may also be some people here who are saying, I'm struggling to believe. I look at the world around me, I, I, the personal challenges I'm facing, and it feels like life is not fair. The opportunities never seem to come my way. I, I've been hurt by others. I, I've seen how others are hurt by people in this world. And that may lead you to a conclusion that life is not fair, but not just that, but that God is not fair. And if you find yourself in that situation, I want you to know this. I agree with you. Sometimes life isn't fair. But one of the most beautiful things you'll learn about God is that he is not fair either. He's absolutely and completely just, but he's not fair. You see, if he was completely fair, you and I would have to pay the price for our own sins. You and I would be in a situation where we were lost in our sins and hopeless without him, not able to pay the price, and the only just fair thing for God to do would be to sentence us to eternal separation from him. But because God is just, but he's not fair. You don't have to pay the price for your sins. You can find hope beyond those. If you choose to put your faith in the one that he sent to stand in the gap for you. His son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the perfect sinless one who was slain for the sins of the world. As we read in the book of Romans, you see at just the right time while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the wicked, and we ourselves, stuck on our sin, are counted amongst them. For the wages of our sin was death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There may be those here on site and online who you're thinking that perhaps God brought you here for a reason today. You can kind of sense it. You kind of know it in your heart that there's something that we've talked about today that was for you. Maybe there's a struggle or a doubt and you needed the encouragement to stand at your post, faithfully waiting for God to respond. You just need that encouragement to continue to stand. There are others here who perhaps have never said yes to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do so with me now when I pray. I invite you to embrace the one who does care, who does move, and who has the answers to life's questions. I invite you to join me in a prayer and experience new life with Jesus today. Heavenly Father, as we talk about the challenges and the difficulties of the life situations we find in, Lord, we, our desire, God, is to be free of these. And, and, we, and we earnestly and passionately cry out, Lord, how long? Save us, Lord. And we know that you welcome those prayers and that you, that you honor them, you respect them, and that as, as our hearts break, I believe, Lord, that your heart breaks with ours. But Lord, I pray that the situations around us would not become stronger than your reality within us. And so for those right now, Lord, who are struggling with a life situation or challenge, whether it's weakening their faith or strengthening their faith, I encourage them to press towards you, Lord. In the name of Christ, may they press towards you and embrace you and find your strength, your healing, your protection, your guidance and your peace that they could stand strongly with you. But I pray for those who may be with us on site and online who have not said yes to you before. And maybe it's because some of these situations where, where they feel like you or life is not fair and, and they've struggled to place their faith in you. And yet, Lord, you have continued to pursue them, to reveal yourself to them. But I pray as you're speaking to them right now that they would just pray along with me. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sins that I could not. Thank you that you are just, but that you're not fair. Because you don't hold me accountable, because Jesus Christ paid this price for me. As he gave his life for me, I now give you mine. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed along with me today and will I talk more or pray more about anything that's happening in your life, please come forward for in the service. Pastor Andrew and myself will be here. and We would love to enter into prayer with you for those times.